Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include intergenerational living arrangements, my interview with Polensky Vital Green's Marty Green on the Fed's rate hike last week and what it means for borrowers and homeowners, and there's a lot of data to chew on in the capital markets. Today's podcast is brought to you by Simple Nexus, an Encino company and award-winning developer of mortgage technology for today's modern lenders. Nexus Vision is the only turnkey business intelligence solution designed for mortgage lenders. With actionable intelligence, including visually interactive dashboards, scorecards, and reports, Nexus Vision helps lenders run their organizations more purposefully and profitably. Learn more at simplenexus.com. Amidst the seemingly weekly mass shootings and violence, individual deaths stand out. Heartfelt condolences go out to Jennifer and Dan Gilbert of Rocket Mortgage over the death of their 26-year-old son, Nick. No parent should have to deal with the death of their child and going through the grieving process. When I was a kid, my grandmother, Edna, and the source of several of my passwords, came to live with us. When you're 10, sharing a bathroom with an 80-year-old is uh, memorable, for lack of a better term. But I survived, and so did she, for several years at least, (laughs) after the arrangement had ended and she moved into a retirement home. Now, many years later, the dynamics of multi-generational households are shifting. Historically, these households entailed young adults moving back in with their parents or aging parents moving in with their adult children. Now, a growing number of parents are moving in with their young adult children and doing so at a younger age while still healthy and employed. Frankly, I personally don't see a lot of upside in that, but what do I know? For today's interview, I wanted to welcome back to the show Polensky Vital Greens, Marty Green, to talk about the Fed's latest rate hike and what it means for borrowers and homeowners. Green is one of the mortgage industry's top legal authorities. Let's start with the Fed rate hike last week. They uh, removed some verbiage from their statement that additional policy firming may be necessary. Do you view this as the end of the tightening cycle? It sounds like a lot of people are. So maybe I'll go one step further and say, what would it take for the Fed to actually enact another rate increase? Uh, how how high would the, the next CPI or PCE reading have to jump for them to, to do so? You know, I think they've set the expectation at this point for a pause. So I think that uh, just by removal of that language, I do think that uh, if you listen to the, the press conference, uh, I think Jay Powell sort of uh, told people that that was significant, that they removed that language. And so I think him highlighting that in the press conference was uh, was meant to send that as a telegraph that their intent is to probably pause at the next meeting. But he, of course, as he always does, left it open to incoming data. But I think incoming data would have to be substantial in a surprise, and it would have to be consistent for him to not do a pause at the next meeting, having telegraphed it the way he has. So I think it would take something fairly significant uh, for him to, for the Fed to reverse course. Uh, they might go at the next meeting, set the stage for a an additional hike later in the year, uh, just based upon that incoming data that they've gotten, that that's made them think that they may have to go a little bit higher. And so he would prepare the markets for that at that point, I think. But I think uh, just looking at it the way he he presented it at the, the press conference, the anticipation now is that we'll see a pause at the next meeting. That's a very interesting point because the Fed funds futures expectations currently have 
a rate hike priced in as early as late summer. Uh, but but I'm with you that uh, the Fed needs to let their their tightening trickle through the economy and see the effect of that. We've had banking turmoil introduced here over the last couple of months. How much does that factor into the Fed's thinking? Obviously, banking turmoil is a, a little outside of the the mandates there of, of empl- stable employment and or near full employment and two percent inflation, but it certainly caught their attention to some degree. Certainly it did, and it had to, frankly, because what what that's going to mean is there's going to be, you know, there's additional tightening of of uh, of financial conditions just as a result of the rate hikes, because fewer people qualify for loans. It gets more expensive; they borrow less money as a consequence. So you see a slowdown in the economy as a result. With the banking turmoil, you actually see that even more dramatically because then banks, in addition to having to look at the creditworthiness of the borrowers, also has to be very careful about what their balance sheet looks like, keeping plenty of liquidity because things are a lot more uncertain today from a banking standpoint than they were uh, certainly at the start of the year. So I think that's made them be a little bit more conservative about what they're doing, some of them a lot more conservative about what they're doing on the lending front. So in essence, the Fed got uh, what the equivalent is of some additional interest rate increases as a result of the, the banking turmoil in terms of the slowing down of the economy. Even with the headwinds of a higher interest rate environment, there's not housing inventory out there to help out home affordability. What are you seeing from your end, uh, kind of from a, a borrower or buyer perspective? When when are people going to get some relief? Well, I think you're seeing. I mean, I've, I you know the spring market has hit, and we did see some uptick of of inventory uh, that's been cycled through. And one of the one of the concerns right now is with the elevated interest rate environment is that you have a lot of sellers who are going, well, I'm going to sit on the sidelines because if I'm going to buy something, it's at such an elevated rate, I just should keep the rate that I have, so I'm not going to sell. So I think one thing that needs to happen probably to to improve the inventory situation is for us to get down rates somewhere down at the fives. I just think psychologically that'll make a big difference to a lot of uh, of potential sellers out there uh, that may, may put their homes on the market at that point. Uh, with the idea that they can buy something else that they may may better suit their needs without having such a big differential between their current interest rate that they have on their home and what they might get on the prospective one. Before interest rates to come down into the fives, do you, in your opinion, do you see that as a result of spreads being able to go a little narrower once markets come to grips with the Fed being at the peak of their cycle? Do you see it coming from a recession that some people are predicting is imminent. What what do you think will actually cause rates to be able to drop back down into the the mid fives or low fives? Well, certainly margins uh, or the the differential between what we see in treasury rates and mortgage rates, if it got to be a more normalized uh, differential, you would get rates down in the fives pretty much immediately. I think the reason they're not there today is a great, frankly, uncertainty about the loans being originated today as to how long that they are going to stay on the books. Because if everyone's assuming 
that interest rates are going to be lower a year or a year and a half from now, and that the loans being originated today are all going to be refinanced. People who are buying those mortgage bonds are not buying an asset that has very much longevity to it uh, because the, of the prepay speeds on it. So I think that's why you have a, a less than normalized spread with respect to it or an elevated spread today. So I think if the expectations get to where rates are going to be more uh, predictable and we're not going to see the volatility of them, that'll go a long way to getting us back to more of a normalized spread between treasuries and mortgage rates. The other things that could happen, though, is the Fed could need to lower rates in response to uh, to a recession or the recession being more significant than what they are comfortable with. And, and so you could see a drop in rates uh, as as well that could motivate the rates to get, uh, mortgage rates to get them down with a five handle, but, or it could be some combination of those two. Uh, I don't think it would take a whole lot to get us there, but it's still a little ways down the road. Regardless of what measure of inflation you were looking at it 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 appears that inflation last summer was around nine percent as we head into this summer it's around five percent i think between 1985 and 2020 it averaged around three percent rather than the the two percent that the fed would prefer how long do you see it taking for inflation to get back down to three percent or less can we can we see that as soon as the fall do you think we're at a sticky level here around five percent what are you seeing I actually think rates are going to, I mean, the inflation rates are going to drop uh, more precipitously than some people uh, anticipate. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One, when you start comparing it to a rate that's more elevated uh, from, from the prior year, it automatically goes down somewhat just in terms of that comparison, because uh, you're comparing it to when prices had already risen a fair amount. The other thing is the housing component of that in terms of the the rental rates are starting to moderate and some other things there in terms of that housing component. So I think that's going to help it as well. So there's a number of things just in terms of the way that it's computed that should help as we move through the year so that it will will come down uh, and, and perhaps fairly significantly later in the year, which will, I think, is what the Fed and others are anticipating at this point, although the Fed, I guess, has made it very clear that they think they're still going to need to keep rates at an elevated level. But I think that's not so much because they fear inflation is going to be a ton higher later than the year. But I think they're fearful that if they don't uh, keep rates at a, at a at a higher level, that it could spike again. And that's something that they don't want. Those are both great points that inflation, when you look at it year over year, coming from a high inflation environment, it's easier for it to drop precipitously. And then also some there should there should be some inflation relief when it comes to house prices and and rents out there. So I I want to close by asking you are there any bellwethers for an impending recession that you kind of look towards? I, I know some people talk about consumer credit going upwards. Obviously this this banking turmoil uh and the tightening of credit could be a, another one. What sort of stats or, or indexes do you keep your eye on? I think I think consumer spending is going to be a, a large thing that's going to loom as people get more and more nervous, they spend less money and they become a little bit more conservative. And 70% of the economy is consumer spending. So we have to be mindful of of that particular statistic. I think you'll also see uh, some headlines uh, about greater um, unemployment that you're going to see, or at least layoffs for sure. It's interesting. I could see this being somewhat of a recession that doesn't necessarily have a ton of of job losses necessarily, just because as they the feds pointed out, there's still 1.6 jobs for every job seeker out there. So you may not see 
You may see a lot of people who lose jobs but get employed elsewhere. You also may see some companies that decide to hang on to those employees and, and simply uh, maybe give away some profits or, or uh, operate with thinner margins because it's been so difficult to hire people the last few years. So they may be a little bit more reluctant to let them go than they have been in the past. So that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. So a few years ago, we had a jobless recovery where you may have a, a recession here that doesn't have the huge uptick of unemployment that we've seen in the past. So that'll be something to look for. Yeah, unfortunately for the Fed going through 500 basis points of tightening over last year, the labor market was able to withstand it. And we haven't had a, a precipitous economic collapse, at least to this point. Marty, I always very much enjoy you coming on and talking to me. Really appreciate it. Thank you for making the time. Thank you, Robbie. Appreciate you the invite. Friday was the job numbers. This week, the April Consumer Price Inflation Report will be up in the headlines with headline inflation forecast to increase 0.4% month over month and be up 5.6% from a year ago. Last April's year-over-year number will drop off. With all the stuff going on, mortgage rates haven't moved much. The Federal Open Market Committee raised the federal funds target by a widely expected 25 basis points last week and signaled that further policy changes would be data-dependent. This marked a change in wording that previously explicitly called for further tightening and has been interpreted as the Fed signaling it may be ready to end the current cycle. We'll need to see inflation continue to fall in a less robust job market. Those participants who may be hoping for a full reversal were disappointed when Fed Chair Powell responded in the post-decision press conference that, quote, it wouldn't be appropriate, end quote, when asked if the committee foresees a rate cut this year. Despite a still hawkish policy statement and hawkish comments during the press conference, the markets are still pricing in a small chance of a rate cut in July. Should inflation and jobs continue to trend higher than the Fed's desired level, this may continue this year's pattern of the markets getting ahead of the Fed in anticipation of lower rates, only to readjust expectations. Friday's employment report easily beat market expectations when it showed 253,000 jobs added in April. While the headline gain was impressive, significant downward revisions to February and March's numbers showed overall job growth to be about 149,000 less over those months than previously reported. Average monthly job growth for 2023 has averaged 284,000 a month, down from 399,000 a month in 2022 and 605,000 a month in 2021. The unemployment rate for April fell to 3.39%, which is a 53-year low. Overall, this report shows that the Fed's tightening policy has yet to slow down the labor market much. There are signs that the economy is beginning to cool, such as lower job openings, However, everything is coming off historical highs, and there's still much further to go before the data reaches pre-pandemic norms. The process is likely to be more gradual than many would prefer. Service sector prices have remained elevated due to resilient demand, and the ISM services index for April showed continued expansion in that part of the economy. Additionally, input prices paid by services moved higher in April, suggesting the return to 2% inflation will be a long process. This week's calendar contains some market-moving data, including CPI and PPI on Wednesday and Thursday, with import prices in Michigan sentiment on Friday, as well as the $96 billion quarterly refunding over Tuesday to Thursday. FedSpeak is on the lighter side. Today's calendar gets underway with a couple non-market-moving numbers. Wholesale inventories and sales and employment trends index for April. We begin the week with agency MBS prices roughly unchanged from Friday's close, the 10-year yielding 3.46 after closing last week at 3.45%, and the 2-year at 3.96%.
Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Here's news from the year 2059, part one of five. Ozone created by electric cars is now killing millions in the seventh largest country in the world, Mexifornia, formerly known as California. White minorities are still trying to have English recognized as a third language in the U.S. A baby was conceived naturally. Scientists are stumped. I don't think that joke was very good today. <laughs> Thanks again to today's podcast sponsor, Simple Nexus, the homeownership platform that unites the people, systems, and stages of the mortgage process into one seamless end-to-end solution. To learn more about Simple Nexus and Encino Company, visit simplenexus.com. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.